many times have you read the book of Acts? How many times have we done as a Bible class the book of Acts? I mean, if there is anything that we've studied and anything that we've read, it is the book of Acts. I don't know how many times I have read the book of Acts. And yet recently, while rereading it, I stumbled across something that I had just absolutely never thought about. And I thought it was funny. I thought it was humorous. I'm probably the only one. And you know, it's, it's kind of frightening to throw out there that you thought something was funny because that just kind of shows a little bit about the inside of your heart and you're making yourself vulnerable because nobody else thinks it's funny. It's kind of like they're rejecting you. So I'm, I'm sharing a little bit of, of what's going on in my heart. And I know you're not going to think it's that funny, but I, I chuckle. And I just wanted to share it with you and some things that we can learn from it. The, the first thing I want you to notice is in Acts chapter 23 and verse 8. This just gives a little background. In Acts chapter 23 and verse 8, while Paul was on trial, we've just got this little comment about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And it says in Acts 23 and verse 8, The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Just keep that in mind. The Sadducees say no spirits, no resurrection, and no angels. Now, flip over to Acts 5. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 17 and 18, it says, But the high priest, this is Acts 5, 17 and 18, But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. Luke goes entirely out of his way to point out that we're dealing with Sadducees. These aren't the Pharisees. These are Sadducees that have had them arrested. Now, the Pharisees are going to come into it when they get before the council, but right now, it's the Sadducees that are upset, and they're jealous, and they go and have the apostles arrested. Now, read verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Now, how can that happen? The Sadducees don't believe in angels, and yet right under their very nose, an angel is releasing the apostles from prison. And I just thought that was a little bit funny, a little bit humorous. But from this irony, as I thought a little bit more about it, I learned some things. I learned some things about our faith, about our Christianity. And I'd just like for us to take a few moments to think about these verses in Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 29, in which it's as if to say that Jesus was telling the Sadducees, yes, Sadducees, there are angels. In verse 17 through 9 through 20, we've read it continues on. Upon hearing this, in verse 21, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison, and they returned and reported back, saying... We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and they are teaching the people. And the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. About five lessons I'd like for us to learn from what happened here. And the, Pharisees, the Sadducees 
needing to learn that, yes, there are angels. Before we look at that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Glorious Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you, thanking you because you have blessed us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be filled with faith, that even though there are those around us who disbelieve and those who mock, that we will continue to serve you, that we'll do your will, that we'll recognize that your one true path is all that we need, and that we'll walk on that way no matter who jeers at us, no matter who mocks or who persecutes. Help us to have that faith, to be strengthened, to encourage one another, to stimulate one another, to walk on your one path to life. Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen. The very first lesson that we have here is that just because we believe or don't believe something doesn't make it so. We already learned in Acts chapter 23 and verse 8, the Sadducees did not believe either in spirits or in the resurrection or in angels. But here in Acts chapter 5, it didn't matter whether or not they believed. Their belief or like thereof, as the case may be, did not change the fact that there are angels. And there was one releasing the apostles right out from under their very nose. The fact that we believe or disbelieve something does not make it so. Jesus had dealt with the Sadducees regarding some of their issues about the resurrection in the spiritual realm in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 23, they questioned Jesus regarding the resurrection. And it says in Matthew 22 and verse 23, On that day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. But Jesus, in verse 29, answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures or the power of God. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, but that didn't make it so. In fact, they had come up with this great question that they were certain was a debate stopper. They just knew that this had to put to an end all the questions about the resurrection. Surely nobody could answer this question, and it had to demonstrate that there just wasn't a resurrection. But Jesus' response is, you're just wrong. You're mistaken because you don't understand the Scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And it doesn't matter how hard they believed it, it still just wasn't so. And we've got to recognize and understand this. Just because I believe it doesn't make it so. You see, in our society, we hear somebody's opinion and it differs, it differs or contradicts ours and we want to run and hide behind the thing, oh, that's just their opinion. They're not allowed to say that I'm wrong. But what if I am? The fact that I believe something doesn't make it right. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And verse 3 and 4, Paul put an end to this matter by saying, What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. The issue is not what we believe, it's what has God said. 
We've talked about the bumper sticker before. I haven't seen as many of them lately, but perhaps you've seen it. The one that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. The reality is, God said it, that settles it. My belief or lack thereof doesn't change what is true. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, sanctify them with your truth. And then He said, your word, talking to the Father, your word is truth. And that's where truth is. Not what we believe, but what God said. The second lesson is the fact that others may think we are foolish, but we'll be the ones set free. There in Acts chapter 5, and, and of course we've already seen this debate that the Sadducees had with Jesus. I have some understanding of what happens in these kind of debates. What happens in this kind of side-taking where people pair off and they go at each other. And I have no doubt that the Sadducees, as they would get away from folks after talking about these things, they would get back in their little corner and they would chuckle at all those foolish people who just didn't get it. And they would think, you know, we have this question. Anybody ought to be able to see that this question demonstrates that there can't possibly be a resurrection. Because if there's a resurrection, that makes a mockery of marriage. You've got to be a fool to believe in the resurrection. And I'm sure they felt the same thing about ministering spirits that God sends forth to aid those who are inheriting salvation, as Hebrews chapter 1 and 14 describes angels. You've got to be a fool to believe in angels. And yet, in Acts chapter 5, who was made free and who was made foolish? The Sadducees may have thought the apostles were fools, but they were the ones set free. And it's the same with us. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, Paul talks about what the world considers foolishness. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. People hear the message of the cross, and they think it's foolishness. God coming in the flesh, being beaten and dying, that's absurd. A lot of folks today just think about the mere existence of God, and they call it folly. And so let us not be surprised when the seemingly intellectual elite look to us and describe us as fools. They think we're teaching foolishness. But according to 1 Corinthians 1.18, it's only those who are perishing that see it as foolishness. Those who see the cross as the power of God, the wisdom of God, they're the ones who are set free. Therefore, let us be deemed fools by the foolish. Because in that way, we'll be saved by the wisdom of God. Folks are going to think we're foolish. But we'll be the ones set free. The third thing. 
Doesn't they seem like a no-brainer? But I think in our society today, we've just got to make this point. We just can't all be right. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles believed in angels and the Sadducees did not. They couldn't both be right. One of them, at least, had to be wrong. And it was the Sadducees. Because there was an angel proving his existence by freeing the apostles from jail. Take a look at the world around us. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of different kinds of churches. All teaching different things. Mutually contradictory things. It's not all just differences of matters that don't matter. It's, it's dealing with how you worship God. It, even, it deals with the nature of God. It deals with the nature of salvation. It even deals with how someone is saved. They teach different things. The fact is, we just can't all be right. And we cannot hide behind strained cliches such as, well, we're all going to the same place. We're just taking different ways to get there. Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, closes that door by saying, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There is a narrow way, one narrow way that leads to life. And we've got to be walking on that way. Now, there's a broad way that leads to destruction. And when you consider that picture on the broad way, you can, somebody can walk down the right side of the broad way, and others can walk down the left side of the broad way, and, and others can walk right down the middle of the broad way, and, and somebody can, can kind of circle around and kind of linger over here and then wander over there, and others can just zigzag back and forth. The reality is, what it says is, we can go to hell however we want to. But if we want to go to heaven, there's only one way. When you consider that picture, if we're all going to the same place but we're taking different ways to get there, which place are we going? See, the reality is, there's one way. And we just can't all be right. Two plus two cannot equal four, five, and six all at the same time. And therefore, we can't go to the Bible and find multiple truths. It's a sad thing in our society today. The reason why we have to make this point is because of the concept today of spiritual tolerance. And spiritual tolerance today does not mean allowing folks to believe something even though you disagree with them, which we would all do. We can't make people believe something. But the idea of spiritual tolerance today is not just allowing people to believe something you disagree with, but suggesting that we might all be right. And we just can't all be right. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4, 5, and 6. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, verses 4, 5, and 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. How many faiths? Only one. How many bodies? Only one. In the same way that there is only one Lord Jesus, that there is only one Father and one Spirit, there is only one faith, one body, and there is only one hope of our calling. We just can't all be right. What we have to learn is if we want to be right, we have to get into the Word of God. 
We have to study it. We have to learn it. As 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for a training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It's only by getting into the Word that we can be right. Remember, as Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Sanctify them with your truth. Your Word is truth. The fourth lesson is that some will ignore the obvious to hammer their preconceptions. To me, in Acts chapter 5, perhaps the most intriguing part of the story is found in verses 27 and 28. They had sent to bring the apostles back from the temple. And in verse 27 it says, When they had brought them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, Now what do you expect to be next? I know what I expect. I expected that. How on earth did you get out of that jail? But that's not what he asked. He just completely bypassed that and said, Hey, we told you not to teach like that anymore. What are you doing? Of course, had he asked the question about getting out of the jail, he wouldn't have accepted the answer because he didn't believe in angels. And I have a tendency to believe that that might be part of the reason why he didn't ask. Because asking how the apostles got out of the jail whose door was still locked and the guards were still in front of it, and they're just not there anymore, well, that might lead us down the road of saying we have to listen to these men. And maybe we have to start believing in angels and the spiritual realm and resurrection. And so instead, we're just going to bypass all of that. We're not going to ask how they got out of there. We're just going to get down to the fact that we told you to stop teaching like this. Why are you doing that? You see, they ignored the obvious in order to hammer their preconceptions. And it's just as easy for us to do that today. And before we start talking about everybody else who's out there doing that, we've got to take a look at ourselves because it's just as easy for us to do that, to get our own preconceived idea, to get our idea, and completely, excuse me, completely ignore obvious things that we can find in the Scripture because it doesn't fit with what we want to believe. And we just have to be careful of that. Keeping our hearts and minds open to the Word of God and not disregarding things that just don't jive with what we want it to say. We need to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, you know what it said about the Bereans. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the truth with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. You see, the Bereans didn't just discard or disregard everything that didn't just jive with what they already believed. But rather they listened and then they went to the Word. And they started checking. What's the truth? Because they knew the Word is the standard of truth. You see that balance? They didn't discard it just because they didn't agree with it. But they didn't just accept it either. They went to the Word. They went to the Scriptures and they searched and allowed that to be their standard. And that's what we have to do. We can't just disregard things because it doesn't flow with what we want to believe. We have to go to the Word and search and see what it says. And finally, no matter what, we've got to obey God. 
In Acts 5 and verse 29, Peter and the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. Just because men believe something different doesn't mean we're persuaded. Just because men will think that we are fools doesn't mean we stop teaching. No matter what men think, no matter what they say, no matter what they ignore, no matter what they do with the teaching, we must continue to obey God. We've got to get the message out. We've got to teach, no matter what. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Paul wrote, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. This is 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. By His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. There's going to come a time when people think that what we say is foolish. There's going to come a time when people don't want to believe it. There's going to come a time when people will ignore it. There's going to come a time when people will say, well, we're just all right in a manner of speaking. But no matter what people say, our job is to teach the gospel. Whether it's in season or out of season, we've got to be ready to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all patience and instruction. We must not be willing to tickle itching ears. We must not compromise or back down. We need to get the word out there that no matter what men say, our job is just to obey God rather than men. It's as if Jesus told the Sadducees, yes, Sadducees, there are angels. And because of that, we can learn some things. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are lots of people that believe lots of different things. There are some people that look at that passage and say, Oh yeah, if you repent, you'll be saved and then you get baptized. What it says is, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And whether we believe or disbelieve this passage, it isn't going to change what it says. And there are some that think we're foolish for teaching what this verse says. And there are some that will say, well, you know, when... I love this one. I heard a fellow one time say, when you practice hermeneutics on that verse, you find out that it can mean all kinds of things. Well, no, Peter only meant one thing by it, and it's our job to find out which one thing he meant. And there are some that will completely ignore this verse, despite how obviously it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. It reminds me one time, a lady with which I was working, she said, you know, you'd think that if baptism saved people, that just at least once, God would have said that in the Bible. And I said, well, guess what? 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism now saves us. About that time, a customer came in and we couldn't keep talking, so I wrote it down on a sheet of paper. 
And I handed it to her and I said, Doris, go home and read this passage and let's talk about it tomorrow. She looked at it, she folded it up, she handed it back to me and she said, I'm happy where I am. Some people will just ignore it. Despite even obvious things. But we just have to obey God. You can see what it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why not just do what it says? 